if multiple reputable big brands on social media who have large followings are all saying this stuff, mm -hmm. this empowering language, that's a good thing. It's not a competition. That means that, hey, this message is, is starting to catch on. So I think it just needs to keep being pumped out. So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of the Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Hello, welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour. Uh, this is your host, Aaron LeBauer. Today, my special guest is Michael Mash from Barbell Rehab. Michael is a physical therapist, cash practice owner, and he also teach a lot of education. I've had an opportunity to go take one of his barbell rehab courses down in Charlotte, I think uh, about six months ago. It was really awesome. And what he's sharing um, in his education, what he's doing in his businesses is uh, something that's really unique and important. I wanted to bring him on the show. So thank you, Michael, for being here. I appreciate you taking time to join us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Aaron. I'm excited to dig in and see what kind of topics we start talking about. Yeah, well, let's um, start with, uh, I always like to figure out, like, where did where'd you come from? So back in high school, college, did you know you wanted to be a PT? Was that something that was on your mind? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good story. So back in, back in high school, uh, I was the stereotypical 125-pound freshman baseball, lanky baseball player, right, where I loved baseball. Pitching was my, uh, like, that's all I wanted to do. And ended up meeting an at the athletic trainer at the high school who said, look, I, I think that if we get you stronger, it'll help you throw harder. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'm in mm -hmm. for that. And I'll never forget that, that first day that he had me do a, uh, like a 135 pound rack pull just below the knees, like a modified deadlift. And I instantly fell in love with weight training to the point that I ended up liking it more than baseball. So while the rest of the baseball team was, uh, practicing just getting strong for baseball I was trying to pull one rep maxes in <laughs> in the high school gym um, but it was also a way to sort of treat in my mind some nagging shoulder issues I had in high school and then it was then that I realized that hey strength training so this is like 16 year old me strength training really helped me reduce my shoulder pain and improve my performance I want to help people uh, do the same thing so I 100% went into college knowing that I wanted to uh, do some sort of strength training based rehab. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where that all started way back there. Right on. Awesome. What kind of like injury did you have like a just typical, like I'm a young pitcher overuse type of stuff, or was there something specific that you were, gotcha. you were trying to work with? You know I mean? Like some people are like, yeah, I had this specific thing and it, you know, working with the physical therapist, like changed my life. And, you know, I just like my legs hurt and I got a massage and it, you know, it felt really great. And I was like, wow, I can race bikes harder. I mean, was there something specific that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was a type two slap, slap repair, yeah. um, that I ended up did getting surgery on it in college once I was done, uh, pitching in high school. And that was a whole other experience where now I'm actually in undergrad. I had the orthopedic surgery and I'm going through the motions of being a patient. So, mm -hmm. yeah, specific. Yeah. Um, is that something that uh, is motivating you, like, all through this process? Or is there something else that you're like, all right, I got to, like, sit and study and go through school and get out and, not, you know, like, 
do something bigger? Is there, you know, like, do you have like a, like, what's your why? Like, you know, we all know it's important. Are you, do you have like a very specific, like, I know what I need to do. And this is the thing that keeps me up at night. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, initially I thought it was to help individual people just like myself overcome pain in order to get back to what they love doing. I mean, that's what I would hope that all of us at least get into mm-hmm. the PT profession for. But then there came this moment when I was out treating in my first three years and I was like, you know what? By doing it this way, I'm only able, I'm only able to help one patient at a time, right? Patient comes in, I help them. I was like, I want to do this on a much grander, larger scale. So then that's where the idea came. Well, what if I teach other practitioners and other strength coaches how to do what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Then from a what's my why standpoint, I know that one workshop can now affect hundreds and hundreds of people. So that's where I get the satisfaction of knowing that I'm able to reach a larger audience now. That's awesome. So, um, Back in PT school, did you know you wanted to own a business or were you just like, I'm just going to get a great job as a PT, you know? That's a good question. No, I didn't have a specific goal to like run a uh, physical therapy business, but I did start Barbell Rehab, the brand, Mm -hmm. when I was in my fifth out of sixth year of PT school. So I started Barbell Rehab, the brand in 2016, just because it seemed like the thing to do, uh, I just wanted to get my ideas out there. I didn't know what I was doing. It was just like, let's start an Instagram page and let's put out, um, let's put out videos of how lifting can help people feel better. And I always, always laugh because that was like before the whole Insta physio craze. Now there's like ton of us and it's awesome. It's a good thing. Right. There's a ton of us out there uh, promoting positive messages, but it was back in the early 16, the 2016, it was like, uh, I just, I knew about the prehab guys, right? I always Mm -hmm. talk about how the prehab guys got in early and I got in just after him. Yeah. That's awesome. And so you said five out of six years, was this like a combination undergrad grad school thing or did it take you a while to go through PT school? Gotcha. Yeah. It was like a, I did three, it was a uh, joint program where I did three years at an undergrad at one college. And then that led to an additional three years of PT school. So I got it done in six. Okay, cool. Yeah. It took me like 14 years, <laughs> 10 years in between. Gotcha. Um, uh, let's see. So out of PT school, did you just go work for someone else? Did you start your business or was barbell rehab already, you know, was that already kind of like a, a business at that time? Like where, where were gotcha. you at that point? Good question. And this is a story that not a lot of people know because I didn't frequently advertise it when I was just out. So when I started Barbell Rehab, it was just a brand. It didn't make any money, didn't make any income. So when I graduated PT school in August of 16, I actually took a full-time job at a hospital-based outpatient clinic. I was lucky enough that they did have barbells and dumbbells, but I actually worked there Mm full-time through the end of 16, all of 17, all of 18, And then finally, all during that time, Barbell Rehab was just still a brand. It was just, let's pump out free information. It was, you know, the whole, let's drive an hour to work, work 40 hours, drive an hour home, and then see if I have any energy left to make a blog post on a Wednesday night. Um, So I did that all through 2018. 2019, I still worked there. I went down part-time January of 2019 where I said, you know what, It's it's, it's time. I've put out a ton of free content. I want to start monetizing and I want to start chasing my dream. So I weaned down, went part-time and just as of December, like of 19. So like seven months ago, I left yeah. that job and all of 2020, I've been a hundred percent 
on my own doing my thing. That's awesome, man. Was it, uh, was there anything that specific happened? It sounded like it was a pretty good job or was it just you were like, it's time for me to, to, to do things on my own. Cause a lot of yeah, people yeah. have like, Oh, I hated doing this. This happened. Boss told me this. Was there anything like that? No, they were, they were good people. And, um, I actually, I missed the, I missed the camaraderie of the people I worked with, but just when, I mean, treating 15, 20 people a day and not having the time to grow my brand. That's where I was like, I want more time, right? Time mm-hmm. is our most precious resource. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able, I wasn't going to be able to work on these giant projects that I wanted to work on if I was still in the clinic, uh, yeah. like that. So yeah, that's where that mm-hmm. came from. Oh, that's awesome. So did you go out and you started just doing courses or were you treating patients in your own business? Gotcha. Yeah. So in 2019, when I did go part-time with my hospital outpatient job, I did let them know that, Hey, look, I'm going to be doing this cash-based physical therapy too. Uh, I was lucky enough that my cash-based location was 45 minutes away Mm -hmm. from the hospital outpatient job. So they were more than any, they were more than supportive. There was like no sneaking behind, like, oh, I'm going to try and take patients from you guys. It was totally separate. It worked out really well. And then I realized that, you know, I'm, I'm doing this job. I'm doing, I'm treating patients here and there cash based, but my true passion, and even when I was treating, so I don't mm-hmm. treat anymore. When I was treating patients, my favorite part was the teaching part. Right. Like if you came to a barbell rehab consult, we're having a conversation for like 40 minutes, like just to really dig into why are you here? What is motivating you? What can I help you do? Right. What kind of change uh, are you looking to make? So once I realized that I really like educating people, that's when I started the seminars in September of last year and they've just been taken off ever since. That's awesome. Did you have like before starting the seminars, did you have people asking for them or asking for you to teach something online or did you just kind of toss it out there and see if it would stick? Nope. I just tossed it out there and hoped it would stick. Right. So the first you were at the second workshop I did. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one I did was in my stomping grounds in Pittsburgh. So I had 12 people there. Then I had 13 in the one in Charlotte that you came to. And then everyone since then, like the third one in Philly, just randomly had 42 people. Wow. <laughs> so I, I pumped a little bit. I, I was tweaking the marketing. I pumped a little bit more money into the Facebook ads for that third mm-hmm. one. And it finally helped that I had some reviews up uh, from the first two workshops so that the third one and everyone since has been 40 plus people. So hell yeah, man. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. That's, that's really good. I mean, that's not uh, an easy thing. I did, um, I think it's been about eight years where I started creating a, uh, an education uh, business with a partner and man, it was tough to get eight to 10 people in a room. It was really tough. And we did probably four or five over the course of two years before my coaching business took off. I was like, I don't have time for this. And yeah, you know, but I, and, and I was like, I don't want to struggle for this. This wasn't my, that wasn't my passion teaching gotcha. like hands-on techniques. You know, I, I want to talk about other things, <laughs> Yeah, you know? Um, but what is it like, what is it that you learned along your way, whether it was in school, in other con ed that you feel like, or in your experience lifting that, that you feel like, um, has helped you become so successful with your patients or with teaching other people? Are there specific techniques or strategies or things that you figured out for barbell athletes or other athletes in general that, you know, something's missing from our education in school or other people aren't really looking at? Gotcha. I think if we're talking specifically with the workshop I'm teaching with 
modifying these lifts for barbell athletes, I think a huge missed part of it is programming, right? Mm -hmm. um, we're, I don't think we're taught, at least where I was, so I don't want to speak for any other PT schools. I mean, we get the usual three sets of 10 of accessory lifts, right? So, but when a barbell athlete comes in, they're not, that's not their program. And even just a general fitness athlete, we can like expand this away from barbell athletes. Anybody that trains is a lot of times they're training at lower rep ranges, at higher rep ranges, depending on the goal and really knowing how to, okay, somebody is having an aching shoulder with the bench press. Mm -hmm. We always may think form, 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 but it, what's the dosage, right? right. What, we're all in this big kick of exercise is medicine and it's perfect, but if exercise is medicine, we need to treat it as such and know that the dosage matters. Right. So learning how to optimize and modify this dosage based on the client's goals is a huge part of my seminar and what I've been teaching. And I'm trying to shoot that gap um, in, in educating physical therapists about this, but also fitness professionals. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that we didn't do RPE in my PT school, <clears throat> you know, and you, I know you covered that. And you also, what I thought was powerful was, I can't remember what it was called, uh, but it was, it was in calculating the dosage or the tonnage of the weights, right? Mm -hmm. I think you, you talked about how calculating the tonnage, whether it's numbers of reps or weights it, to give people to a, uh, you know, like just like an RPE of seven to eight, where you still can make gains. I was like, oh yeah, I never really thought of that. But you know, I don't, I don't treat people um, from that part of the spectrum. We're getting people moving and yep. I've never really covered that. So you can talk a little bit about how that's important in closing the gap between someone who's hurts a little bit when they're lifting and, you know, they can barely walk or move their shoulder because they've been in pain for so long. Like, you know, there's that gap. And I think that yep. a couple of those principles are what can clo help close it. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Like if we talk specifically about RPE or rate of perceived exertion as fit as healthcare providers, we're exposed to it based on the Borg scale, right? Six to 20. It's supposed to correlate with, um, heart rate. So like if somebody rates it a 13 out of a 20 on a treadmill, supposedly the heart rates at 130. I don't know how accurate it is. I haven't looked at that data in a while. But when it comes to RPE for strength training, uh, the strength training world just simplified it and said one to 10, 10 being the hardest, you rate a lift after you do it, 10 being the hardest thing that you can possibly do, nine meaning you stopped one rep shy of failure, eight meaning we stopped two reps shy of failure. And there comes this idea, especially in like the hardcore training world that we need to take all of our sets to failure mm -hmm. in order to progress. Um, but what ends up happening is uh, a patient will come in with shoulder pain during the bench press. And if I look at their programming and the majority of their sets, they're taken to failure. I'm a big believer that no amount of things that I'm going to input to this person, no amount of stretching, um, I mean, manual therapy stretching might calm it down temporarily, but the, the issue is the dosage. So I try to tell these people like, look, you can still progress if we just back the intensity down a bit. You don't need to consistently hit nines and tens to progress. And usually once we get that RPE back into the seven, eight range where they're leaving uh, two to three reps in the tank for their multi-joint compound exercises, um, their, their symptoms calm down drastically. So it ends up being a dosage error. Yeah. And there's a calcul there's a, there was a way to calculate it kind of too, for all those of you who like to do it very analytically, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That comes from, uh, some of Tim Gabbett's work as far as, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank as far as the, like uh, the tonnage or you were calculating like, oh like, yeah, okay, 
yeah. right? Right. You're saying something like, workload. yeah, chronic workload. And it doesn't have to be, it, it can, it can go up really fast if we're lifting too much, but you, but you don't have to do 5,000 reps either. You know, I think yeah, it's, it's, it's the acute to chronic workload ratio. We're, we want to give, when we're trying to build uh, somebody's tolerance up to lifting, we want to give it in bite-sized pieces, right? Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that we're consistently giving them a little bit more and more each week. But now, like now is especially a good time where a lot of people may have not worked out through these lockdowns and now they're coming back to the gym and they think that they can just resume where they were or even worse they'll go and they may do these kipping pull-ups or these round and back deadlifts and they might tweak themselves and then they'll blame it on the exercise when it was never the exercise. It was, you weren't prepared for it. You did too much of it. And now these exercises get like villainized for being evil when it wasn't the exercise, it was the dosage. Yeah. One of the things that I've struggled with and I know a lot of people have struggled with is you have an athlete come in and you sit there and you evaluate them and you're like, yeah, you know, you're just irritating. No matter what I do, the volume of training that you're doing is just irritating the problem. You need to back off. And then they're like, okay, they leave. And the next week, they're like, I don't know what it is, Dr. Mash. It just, it's still the same problem. And, you know, you're like, did you do your work? Yes. But their still training volume is really high. It turns out it's their coach who, mm-hmm. you know, their, their coach is like, you know, no, that's wrong. Let's do it this way. You, don't, you know, and there's a there's a problem, not only communication with the patient and maybe some buy-in, but communication with the coach or the coach's buy-in based on their, I don't know, alternate view of how this works. Yeah. Can you kind of speak to how you address those? Yeah, kind of it's tough. I mean, that's why, that's one of the, what you just explained is one of the main reasons why I like teaching this course that is for both coaches and therapists, because it really, it gets them on the same page and it realizes, hey, we're not enemies. We're on the same team because mm-hmm. our goal is to work together to prevent people from getting unnecessary surgeries, right? right. We're, we're not enemies here <laughs> because if we both fail at our jobs, then they're under the knife when they may not need to be. Um, so open communication has always been the best for me. If you can get buy-in with the client and the patient where you say like, look, what you're doing is an, aggra- is an aggravating stimulus. The only way that we're going to overcome it is by modifying it, maybe decreasing the volume a little bit. And if you can really get the athlete to see the long-term picture of, do you want to be caught in this cycle forever where you're just aching in pain all the time? Or do you want to temporarily back down, get the symptoms under control, and then rebuild back up? If you can get buy-in at the client level, I would hope that the client will then feel very good about saying, look, this guy or this gal I go to he, he or she's going to really help me. We just need to follow this plan. Mm-hmm. I, I have not really ever called the coach myself. Yeah. I hope that I can convince the client enough. The client is actually excited to right. tell the coach. That's, so awesome. that's where I go from that. You know, I think one of the problems that I want to see, like that we've encountered is that for so many years before we came into physical therapy, physical therapy isn't well defined with how we work with, you know, athletes or people that are very active. It's more, you know, post-surgical rehab and we do all these other things, right? Heat, stim, they don't work, right? Where do people go? Oh, let me go to my massage therapist, which that was, you know, my experience, or let me go to my trainer. And the trainer says, well, here, let's roll on the roller. Let's do these things. And the trainer or coach can sometimes take it upon themselves to, I help people get, you know, out of pain, which is a little outside of their scope, right? So, 
And, and I've, over my 20 years, have encountered multiple people who that's the, they believe that's their mission. They don't really understand what I do. And it's just like, we're just like button heads. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and it's one of the most frustrating things. And I, I, I do think that um, what you're teaching, in, you know, is great in, to bring that together. But I think there's so many people, there's so many people out there doing it. Is, is there a specific way, you know, like someone might address or approach like a, a trainer or um, strength coach or someone to say, Hey, look, you know, I've addressed, you know, I've been working with this person. Here's what we need to do. And how do we use like the right language to educate them on what we're doing? You know, gotcha. like there's this problem and it's like, well, I've had it and I would, you know, love to have the right words. It may not always work, but it's like, what, how do we as physical therapists start approaching strength coaches, fitness professionals, especially when we have the same common interest in keeping our patients, you know, healthy. Gotcha. Yeah. So there's that gray line, right? Like where do we draw the line? Um, And the best way I can explain it is that as rehab professionals, if we're acting as rehab professionals, so like not as, so if you're a DPT CSCS, let's assume that you're acting as a DPT, you're always held your license, but let's say you're actually doing rehab. I define rehab in these performance athletes as the process of getting back to baseline. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we can, if we like tell these strength coaches that are like hesitant, like, oh my, the physical therapist is trying to do my job. Look, I'm not doing, I'm not training for performance in the clinic. My job is to get this client's pain under control, to get the symptoms down and to build them back up to baseline so that I can pass them back to you so that you can take them to the next level. I think that they think there's a turf war like, oh, he has a, he or she has a D, he has a CSCS after their name. They're going to try and do the whole shebang. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where I like to delineate it. We get them back to baseline. They take them to the next level. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. But sometimes we can get them past baseline. <laughs> yeah. We right? don't want, yeah, we don't want to sell them short. Right. Because you would, you would hope that would just sound exercise prescription in the rehab world, uh, in, in the gym that that in and of itself will get them better than when they came in. Right. Without even like, training for performance, just basic exercise prescription should get them better uh, than baseline without even trying to. What if baseline is crappy movement? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, maybe their baseline is what predisposed them to injury anyways. Right. So when we flip it like that, um, I think I'm more coming from, we're not trying to set personal records on the bench press and Mm -hmm. we're, we're not trying to, take somebody's and and increase their one rep max squat in the clinic. I'm trying to get them and build up a chronic workload ratio or build up a chronic workload, uh, get them pain free or tolerable. doesn't need to be pain free. Get them to a tolerable level so that uh, they are stronger than when they came in, but we're not like ripping one rep maxes Mm -hmm. in the clinic. Yeah. Awesome. You know, one of the most powerful things I think that you talked about um, and and you teach is um, the language around how we describe what's wrong with our patients and clients and especially teaching some of these strength coaches about how to speak about pain and pathology. Mm -hmm. Is there something, and I know like a lot of physical therapists, you know, we all get it wrong too, but are there common things that people are coming to you with? You're just like, you know, like, where did you hear that? You know, or, or common mistakes that as physical therapists we're making, or maybe strength coaches are making in how we speak to and educate our patients about like their herniated disc or, why their back got tweaked, you know, or why they can't lift overhead, et cetera. 
Yeah, I think the low back pain is the most common one that people come in with chronic low back pain. And a lot of the reason why they're sensitized is because they have all these false beliefs about their back. They think it's, they think it's weak. They think it's fragile. They think it's out of place. Uh, they think they need to consistently be aware of their breathing 24 seven, or they're just, they're hyper vigilant of it. And they look at it as a fragile part of them. And um, we, as movement specialists and movement providers, whether we're a physical therapist, strength coach, we need to start empowering these folks. Like, just like you sprain an ankle, just like you stub a toe, the same thing can happen to a back, right? It's just the body tends to react a lot differently. Think about how hard you can bang your toe mm -hmm. or something and it hurts like terribly, but then it's better in like five, 10 seconds. Whereas you can just bend down to grab, tie your shoe and you have excruciating back pain for a week. And I think a lot of people that experience that have these false beliefs that if you can just, like if somebody came to me, a power lifter with chronic back pain, I, I have a, 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 somebody came to me last year, like to a T for this. And I just had a conversation with them and I was like, look, I, I know you're hurting. You always want to tell patients that what they're feeling is, is real. You don't, wanna, you don't ever want to go down that path of that you're faking it because it is real. Pain's always mm -hmm. real to the person, right? Look, I know you're in a lot of pain. That must not, that must be terrible, but I'm here to tell you, your back's not as broken as you think it is. And this is a good thing. I think that if we just optimize your programming, backed off a little bit, got some more work in at lighter intensities, you're going to start to trust it again. And you're going to start to flip this switch in your brain of, Hey, maybe it's not as broken as I think it is nothing's out of place, things are stable, and then they can just put their uh, worries at ease, which yeah. starts to desensitize them. Where do you think all these false beliefs come from? Probably um, older, I don't want to say older clinicians, because that's what we, I mean, yeah, older clinic, we were taught this, the old medical model is, was teaching the bone out of place model. And I don't want to take a shot at chiros or PTs, because we're both to blame, right? The older model of uh, the spine was that the subluxation theory, it's out of place. We're here to manipulate it and to put it back in place to restore function. This isn't to say manipulations don't work. They obviously work, mm -hmm. um, but it's not because we're putting bones back into place. So I think with this whole new wave of evidence, new wave of practitioners that are, and I know the, the latest chiropractors are not even operating on this bone out of place model either. Like they're not being taught this in school right now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think that it's just an older mentality. I don't think it's malicious by any means. I think the, the people that are teaching it are just doing what they think is best, not maliciously. But I think with this new wave that these older ideas, these outdated models are going to start to go away. Yeah. Do you think it's just going to take another 10 years or is there something that we can do about it to hurry this up? Because it's, it's tough being on my end of that. You know, yeah. So that brings up a good point. Um, I think there, it might just take another 10 years, but we can't, I think people that have brands need to consistently talk about it on social media. Mm -hmm. And it, the flip side of that, people are like, oh, here we go. Another post about the back is not fragile, you know, because it seems like everybody's posting about it now. And to me, that's a good thing, right? If multiple reputable big brands on social media who have large followings are all saying this stuff, mm -hmm. this empowering language, that's a good thing. It's not a competition. That means that, hey, this message is, is starting to catch on. So I think it just needs to keep being pumped out. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it, it, it's interesting. I, I agree with you. And I still think it's like stuck in media in places. Like I was watching uh, Rust Valley Restorers, which is a Netflix series on old like muscle cars. Right. And one of the guys is doing something. He's like, oh, I threw out my back, my back. And they called the ambulance. Oh, they put him in a neck brace and yeah. all this stuff. And it's just like, oh, and he's just wimping around. I'm just like, holy cow. Like, like they're just, it's just perpetuating a stereotype that mm. we're fragile beings. But yeah, we get we hurt and fall down all the time and bounce back up, you know? Yeah. And we still see that in like uh, mainstream fitness articles, like five exercises no. to never do if you, or you'll wreck yourself, <laughs> like stuff like that. That's obviously not that helpful. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's not. What's the, if someone's listening, whether they're a, a PT who's never heard of this or strength coach, what's the number one thing that they need to know about, you know, like uh, injuries or how to talk to their, you know, patients or clients of, about their pain or injury? Gotcha. My, my big takeaway is that we need to convey the idea that the body is strong and stable, right? We are strong, resilient human beings that sometimes have aches and pains. And that's okay because we should embrace it. It's a normal part of being human. And with optimal exercise dosing and optimal exercise selection and um, good mental and emotional habits, you don't have to live like that forever, right? That's what it really comes down to. Empowering these people to, to, to note that, hey, you're a little sore right now, and I know that must not feel the greatest, but it's not going to always be like this, and uh, embrace the process. Yeah. Um, that's awesome, man. Thank you. It, since the coronavirus hit, <laughs> and, and this is July, where's July 1st, so I've been dropping the date on my podcast. I want to add two questions. Like Number one, while we're talking about patients, have you noticed that people are messaging you or asking you questions about different problems you know, in the last few months than they were you know, last year? Are there different problems or things that, are, that people are asking you for help with? Gotcha. Um, so I do, I do online coaching one-on-one -on -one with a handful of people. So, that's, so since I'm no longer treating in the clinic mm -hmm. and I'm just, I've purely switched to education, uh, the one-on-one -on -one online coaching is what sort of keeps me fresh. And that's how I stay in the trenches, right? Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, not really, because there was like a gap there right when coronavirus hit that it didn't seem like people were too concerned about mm -hmm. their pain, right? It was like the, the initial shock. Like, oh boy, COVID's happening. What's going on? But as soon as people realize that, okay, I'm at home, I now have a lot more free time, let's focus on some of these nagging pains that I've had. So yeah. I think I, you might be able to speak for this more because I'm out of the loop with, um, like I'm not running a practice right now, but I would assume that people are having one, wanting to get more therapy now that they have more time to think about it in their home. Is that accurate? Right. Yeah. And I, a big thing that, you know, we saw was, you know, before March, it was, I'm working out multiple days of the week and I hurt myself and now I can't work out. Right. Versus since then it's, I'm not working out. I'm stiff and sore. I'm, I'm stiff and sore. Or now I'm running and my knee hurts. Or mm. yeah, I do have time to fix this nagging problem, so I, I, you know, I can do it. So it shifted a little bit, and I wasn't sure if, you know, with uh, people asking you questions or in your practice or coaching that you saw a shift like that. Like I certainly did, but it's yeah. not enough people to know how statistically significant. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw I saw a little bit of an uptick. I took on a couple new online clients and we had to transition about half of my clients had home gyms, half of them didn't. Mm -hmm. So we had to transition like half of them. Yeah. We as in me, not we, but you yeah. know what I mean. 
<laughs> did you did you stop seeing people in like a clinic setting because of the coronavirus or was there some or was that did that happen before this hit you know was that uh, gotcha um it happened right around the same time and it's sort of yeah. just it was like a sign for me that i was slowly transitioning out of it anyways mm -hmm. And when January came around and I had the goal January, I was like, I'm doing 20 live workshops in 2020. That's the goal. Yep. And I was like, I know that with that, the online coaching and the eventual online course that I don't want to, I don't want to treat anymore because I want to put all of my emphasis into teaching. And then when coronavirus came along, it sort of just solidified that, yeah, I'm not going to be going into the clinic anymore to treat. Yeah. Um, but it was in a good way to continue online coaching for me. Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming you had a bunch of uh, live workshops scheduled probably, yeah. you know, like, so what happens? Like coronavirus comes around, like what'd you have to do to, you know, pivot or change? Like what did you end up uh, doing to keep going? Yeah. So the initial plan was I was going to, I did two workshops in January, two workshops in February. And then I had two, two scheduled for March, two scheduled for April, two scheduled for May. When COVID hit that, third week of March, I canceled March. And then I was like, yeah, yeah, April, we'll be able to get that in. Right. Yeah. Then I canceled April. And then I was like, yeah, May we will be good. Then I canceled May. So then I had July left over and I held on to it for a while. And just as of yesterday, I canceled July and August too, because things just, things just aren't right right now for, for me. Uh, yeah. um, I don't feel comfortable teaching uh, until things are back up and running. So what we did is the plan was to, the initial plan was to convert the workshop to online as of July and mm -hmm. then launch it in September. But that quickly changed. As soon as I closed down all my workshops, I nose into the computer and I pumped the heck out of this online course. Like uh, I just worked nonstop and we, me and the videographer were able to get to the gym and film it the day before the lockdowns occurred. So wow. we filmed it. We locked down. He was at home. He was able to edit all the videos because he mm -hmm. was locked down. I was at home. I was able to get our online learning platform up and we launched it. And now to date, I think we're at over a hundred countries. People from nice. over a hundred countries have bought it. So super happy. It ended up working out really well. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. Congrats. It, did you get like uh, pretty much everyone who had signed up for one of your in-person courses to come on board with the online learning platform or are people like, Oh, we're going to wait and see. Yeah. I, I, if I had to crunch the numbers, it's probably about 50, 50, Yeah, 50% were like, yeah, I, I'm that's, that's awesome. Let's take the online course. The other 50 were like, I want a refund because mm -hmm. I really want to attend the live training. And that's just part of business. It is. What yeah. It is. Yeah. No, I remember like attending it. It was, it was great, but I didn't get like a workout. We did a lot of drills and we mm -hmm. did some stuff and I was like expecting like to feel sore. And I, you know, I was like, Oh, I was actually surprised. I'm, Aaron, you're actually kind of somewhat in shape, but we didn't lift a lot of weight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Because it's not, it's, it was more about understanding some technique modifications, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming those things translate really well to video. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So like the lecture part that you saw is the exact is the exact same yeah. as the uh, the online course. Um, but some of the breakouts we did, my wife and I just filmed it. So she was like the person I was demonstrating on. Mm -hmm. So no, that's, that's cool. Yeah. What um, what do you think like for 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 you? Like, what do you think has to happen with all this for you to say, hey, we're going to do another live uh, training in Los Angeles or Miami or wherever Atlanta? Like, 
what has to have like what has to change in, in the world for that to start happening again? Gotcha. So I and I just uh, this is just me thinking out loud. I need yeah. to decide if I'm okay with teaching with everybody being in masks, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if this is going to be the new new. Like and just we need to accept it. Like mm-hmm. this is the like we're going to be masked for a while, but. Or do I wait until things calm down? The the masks are no longer recommended um, because I would assume that it would be a little hard. I actually did get to squeeze one workshop in last weekend in New Orleans, and um, it was uh, we complied with all the local recommendations. I had twenty people, everybody had masks on. I wore a face shield, um, but to be honest, it just I was like, I don't know if this is what I want to keep doing. Right? Yeah. I want to wait until it was hard to read the audiences. Like, uh, <laughs> percept, I couldn't tell if they were engaged or not. It was just new for me. So right. I, I just put a hold on it until I can think more about it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot you can't see from someone. What is their face doing? What is their smile doing? Right. Yeah. That's what, yeah. And then uh, they, they didn't laugh at my usual jokes as much. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. So, um, Michael, what is, uh, what, what is your, um, career look like three to five years? Like what, what do you have in store? You know, what is three, like, what is like the three to five year goal? Where do you want to be? Gotcha. So we have a couple more online courses coming down the pike. Some of them I'm going to do myself. And then some of them I'm going to have people that are smarter in other fields outside of my specific niche of barbell rehab. I'm going to have, I hope to have them I'll help them create the course. We'll put it on our online learning platform. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping to just really grow the online learning platform out to be a full fledged con ed company. Oh yeah, man. That's awesome. Are you talking about like other, like just non barbell type of training or like different types of, uh, like, I don't know if you can, gotcha. If it's, if it's information or is it like, you know, you're going to go get the kettlebell person and the endurance athlete person, or is it like someone doing more like Olympic lifting and someone doing more, CrossFit type stuff. Yeah, more like that. Like for example, I don't think I've publicly announced this yet, but I'm cool to do that. We're we're planning on launching like a sports performance one in mm-hmm. April. So that's a little bit outside of my scope. I'm really I'm really good at getting people uh, reduced pain and back to being strong. But when it comes to what are these higher level sports performance tactics, right. uh, I, I have a guy who's that's his specialty. So we're gonna bring him on board to make the course and put it onto mm-hmm. the platform yeah yeah i mean oh that's awesome because i know i've had a couple uh, athletes come through our clinic and i'll put them in like a, a half kneeling like straddle stance and they're just like sweating bullets and like why can't i there's like this expression on their faces like this should be easy i can't do this and they can't stand upright. you yeah. know and i feel like it's finding those vulnerable positions and improving upon those can make some mm-hmm. of those a uh, little bit more than marginal gains for someone at the top level is there anything specific that uh the any little tricks you have or anything you're looking at when you're moving someone around that, you know, th- that you like to use or that you could share with us, like little tactical, like clinical evaluation, some nugget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess the first thing that would come to mind is, and I don't know if there's any, any research to back this up. This mm-hmm. is just something that I see. Um, I can, correlate somebody's squat stance by the way they walk right Mm -hmm. so if somebody is a really towed out walker like we and 
we, we know these people, they just walk with their toes out. I can automatically assume that they're probably going to do well with more of a toes out squat stance. So I've seen some sort of correlation with that. And I think it has to do with hip anatomy, the retroversion, all that fun stuff. But, um, the big clinical pearl is, would be let people squat how they feel comfortable squatting, right? Mm -hmm. There's no uniform, uh, stance with, degree of toe out that's going to work for everybody let people most of the people automatically find this themselves but yeah. if they've been told in the past that they need to squat a certain way you may need to break that habit and let them be free and explore yeah because that can be something where toes are in or feet are parallel magical yeah. parallel it can be causing more of an impingement or mm-hmm. limiting their depth exactly something like that right yeah um that's awesome man well um is there a question that I didn't ask you that you think uh, would be helpful for people listening? Not that I can. I think we pretty much covered everything, right? Yeah. We, we went through all the modifications, the empowerment, all the good stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what's interesting is that to me, like I, I just point this out now, we've kind of talked about this, but language is important, right? How we talk about things to our patients, how we talk about things to ourselves, even like how we describe what we're teaching. Right. Language is important. What's like, I don't know. I just think that, that, that it's that, that talking to patients, but also educating it's, it's important. Like, do you see, do you see that too? Like, like not taking the research, like I see when people they'll take the research and they'll just regurgitate the research and uh, Aaron LeBauer, the smart PT, like I'm great with patients, but I don't care. I just like, I don't want to read through that. Right. Yeah. I'm like, I want to work with smarter people who can, tell it to me at a fifth grade level. <laughs> yeah. Know, so I get it. Right. What is the, what are some of the things that, that we as PTs um, or that you have found in your career as a strength coach and, and as a, as a rehab professional that are the keys to um, kind of moving our profession forward? You know, like, and I, I, you know, like in, in how would you explain that, whether it's in language or you just mm. explain it, you know, like, you know what I'm asking? Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I think I got a good answer for you. I think what it really comes down to is before we do anything, just sitting there and listening to people. Because as, as you know, like in the cash PT world where uh, cash-based physical therapy, where we actually have the time to do this. Mm-hmm. And they most people have a bad taste of the medical model where they go into the physician who sees them for three minutes and they have all these questions unanswered. But we are in this unique situation where we have the time to listen to these people. And before we start going, throwing facts at them, like, well, did you know your back's not actually out of place? Did you know that 50% of 40-year-olds have degenerative disc disease? Like, before we just start throwing these facts at them, we need to just sit there like a human and really just listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, especially now that we're starting to emerge out of this COVID era where people are going to be craving human to human interaction. I think we should act more like caring human beings. And I think that's, what's going to make a lot of the difference when it comes to building that connection, which will allow you to segue into your education better versus just spouting out what you just read in the last research paper. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I appreciate that. Um, One more question. What's the, like why should everyone well maybe there's two more questions should everyone have a barbell at home yes or no (laughs) if you would have asked me this five years ago i would have hands down said yes but you're hearing it now first if that's not your gig then that's not your gig i'm fine with that i think everybody should resistance train 
um, in some shape or form. But if the barbell is not your gig, uh, mm-hmm. that's not your gig. Yeah. If I want to get a barbell, what's the best one to get? So I would either go with the, uh, the basic Ohio power bar or the Texas, uh, the, the buddy caps, Texas, uh, power bar. They're both in the $300 range. Well, maybe now that people are selling them on the black market for like a thousand bucks. The Ohio power bar, or the Texas power bar. Yeah, that's awesome. I just ordered, I ordered myself, a. uh, 32 kilogram kettlebell back in March and it just arrived like two days ago. Cause it was on, you know, it's like it was yeah. on sale cause it was a pre-order, but you know, yeah, it's taken three months. Um, for someone who wants to do like, if they've never worked with a barbell, but they know they have patients that will, what are the things that they need to learn or look up or sh- what, like what moves to, what, what exercises do they need to learn how to do with the barbell so that they can gotcha. understand where their client is to, you know, understand the movement. What are, are there any basic gotcha. things they need to do or learn? Yeah. Well, it's funny you ask that because that's exactly what we go through in our online course, right? So you need to be able to know how to analyze at least the basics, the squat, the, uh, deadlift and hinge pattern and overhead pressing patterns. And you really need to know whether you do them yourself or not. You need to know that um, there is a form to these things, right? But everybody's going to look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And when people are having certain issues, there's ways to manipulate the form to offload certain tissues and onload or not onload offload certain tissues and shift the stress to the non-symptomatic ones right but there's not a perfect form yeah right exactly. there's like a variation of something and you can just move it around to get an offloading of of the uh of weight or stress tension etc right yep exactly okay awesome man well if someone wants to find out more about you your course where do they go what's your website instagram youtube gotcha. Yeah, everything's Barbell Rehab. If you're interested in the course, um, head to barbellrehab.com. We have this course approved through Texas Physical Therapy Association. So it's good in over like 30 states. And it's good for your CSCS too. So for you DPT CSCSs out there, it is a two-for-one punch. Um, And then we're at Barbell Rehab on Instagram. And we've been working on building up our YouTube page as well. Oh, yeah, man. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on all your success. It's been awesome to see you like – go through this and, and grow your business since uh, you first contacted me a few years ago. Um, it was really cool. So um, congratulations. Well, for you guys listening, this is the Cash PT Lunch Hour. This is Aaron LeBauer, uh, Dr. Michael Mash. Um, if you got anything out of this, would love it if you screenshot it and put like your big insight or takeaway, tag us, post it to Instagram stories. And if you don't know what Instagram is, go get on Instagram because you need to be there and we'll see you on the next show. Hey, what's up? It's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice or you already have one and you want to learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint, because I want to get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there. I want to give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling, and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K.com. And we get your copy, give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.